welcome back. This is week 19.5. It's bonus episode for... For True Crime B&B. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And Bailey's going to go first today with her evil bad story. <laughs> I do, I'm going to do that every single episode now, aren't I? Yes. Ugh, good grief. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to start you out in a town of Borger, Texas. All right. Okay. I've actually done a project in Borger, Texas. Have you? Yes. I have no idea where that is, so I'm glad you have a general vicinity. Because <laughs> like, I don't. It doesn't really take place there. That's just where he was born. All right. David Glenn Lewis was born December 11th, 1953 in Borger, Texas. All right. He graduated Texas Tech University of Law in 1979, and he just worked as a general attorney throughout his youth. And then he ended up serving as a judge for the state from 1986 to 1990. Oh, good for him. Yeah, but then he ended up losing an election the next term, and he just went back to being an attorney and said it's not worth the stress. So he's still making a good living. I believe that's true. So he stepped down, went back to practicing as a general attorney. And in 1993, they didn't really mention when he got married, but at this point... David Glenn Lewis is a 39-year-old attorney who is married with a 9-year-old daughter named Lauren. And his wife's name is Karen. And are they still in Borger, Texas? Now they are living in Amarillo. Okay. Yes. Amarillo. So we're in 1993 now. It was Super Bowl weekend, and David would be staying home for the weekend while his wife Karen and their daughter Lauren went to Dallas, which is about a a five-and-a-half-hour drive. They said about 400 miles They were going to go on Thursday and come back Sunday night. Okay. They were going to be gone the whole Super Bowl weekend while he just got to stay home and hang with the boys, essentially. Mm Mm-hmm. They were going shopping in Dallas, so they said goodbye, went on their merry way Thursday the 28th of January. They later returned on the 31st of January, which was Super Bowl Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was really late in the evening by that point. So when they returned, they found that David's car was gone from the home and... They like went inside, it was empty, he wasn't home, but they weren't that alarmed because he's an attorney. He's working the weekend all the time. And so they actually found the TV was on and the recorder was on. He had pressed play before he left to record the game. So they're like, oh, he probably just went to the office or to go watch it at a friend's house or something. So probably within two to six hours he would have left. Yeah. So they said he pressed it, play at 5.15 and they got home I think about 10 o'clock-ish. So that's not ridiculous for him to go out and have a few drinks at his buddy's house and just get home. Not on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. They weren't alarmed by this. Other signs that he had literally just stepped out for a couple hours. There were fresh sandwiches in the fridge that he had made for them when they got home because he knew they'd be hungry. Isn't that sweet? That was sweet. And there were signs that he had literally just cut up all the tomatoes, vegetables, all that stuff and put them in the sandwich because he had taken off his ring to wash the vegetables and had it sitting on the kitchen counter next to the sink. Okay. So it seemed like he had literally just done this. So they found his watch next to his ring on the kitchen counter and then laundry in the dryer was still running. Wow. So they were like, okay, maybe he literally just left then because that otherwise wouldn't make sense unless they have a dryer like ours that just keeps going for a couple hours until... Well, it only does one little rotation to keep your clothes from getting wrinkled. It's Mm -hmm. not still tumbling the whole time. So it seems the laundry was fresh in the dryer. Wow. But they had assumed that maybe he'd gone to a friend's house and would be home later that night and they just went to bed. All normal. When he did not come home by the next day, which was Monday, February 1st, his wife became suspicious and knew that he had a doctor's appointment that day. So she called to the doctor's office and they said, yeah, he just didn't show up. Oh, wow. And so at that point, she became a little bit worried and reported him missing to the police. Mm -hmm. 
So the police came over and they did an initial search of the home and there was no sign of forced entries or foul play, no kind of rough housing, nothing broken, no locks tampered with, nothing. When they came home, had the locks been locked or yes. had the door at house been open? They were locked. Okay. So it seemed like he locked it on the way out and then went somewhere, but they don't know where he's gone. Okay. The police also spoke to the neighbors and they had last seen him on Saturday, which was 1.30. Okay. Not p.m., sorry. The date was 1.30. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. They'd seen him sometime Saturday. February 2nd, the search for him continued, and they finally found David's car, which was found at the Potter County Courts Building downtown Amarillo, which makes sense because he is an attorney. That's, he works there all the time. Okay. So they're like, oh, of course, he was at the office, and he maybe had a beer or something and fell asleep on the couch. So it made sense to them with him all recording the game and everything. Maybe he'd gone in to do some work before the girls got home. And then they decided to search his car, which they found his ID, all of his known cash, all of his credit cards, the house and car key were like left inside underneath the floor mat. Okay. As if he had been hiding it or somebody wanted to hide it and they didn't this was even more confusing because he wasn't in the office but they couldn't find him anywhere and there were no cameras so and they didn't have a, a computer record of card swipes or anything like that i guess not because they couldn't find any record of that okay so then they decided to talk to his co-workers and they said that they had last seen him on thursday the 28th so the same day his wife and daughter left town all right around noon he had left the office early because he claimed he was not feeling well and then there was a credit card receipt in his car showing that he did stop by to get some gas in the afternoon at some point. And then he still, later that night, Thursday night, he made it to a lecture at Amarillo College that he was teaching ending at 10 p.m. So he was confirmed up until 10 p.m. Thursday. He was to the be. teacher of he this was, class? Yes, he was okay. the professor. Okay, wow. So they decided to look into his financials a little bit harder and found that Somebody, again, a lot of the security stuff that we have now was not in place back in 1993. Right. Right. So they knew that someone had deposited $5,000 of cash into his and his wife's shared account on Saturday the 30th. And then they also found that someone had also bought two plane tickets in his name, which, again, you didn't need to show ID or anything, so they assume it was him, but we can't really say for right. sure. Travel used to be so easy. Yeah, you just show up, you have the <laughs> ticket, all right, get on. So there was one ticket that went from the Los Angeles airport to the Dallas, Texas airport. And then there was another ticket soon after that went from the Dallas airport to Amarillo. Okay. And apparently nobody ever boarded those flights, used those tickets. He just, somebody had bought them under his name and it was never used. And it made no sense. Maybe if he bought a Dallas to Amarillo ticket for his wife and daughter, that would make sense. But why Los Angeles? That's still... Yeah. They found the tickets, or they just had a record that someone had purchased the tickets? There was a credit card record okay. on file. He had purchased them online with his... Okay, sorry, I don't mean to be a ditz about this. No, I'm just it, trying to there's keep a lot that I'm shoving at you at once. I get that, because this one... I'm shoving it at me! I'm trying to put it in chronological order as best I can. No, it makes sense. I'm just trying to keep track of it all. All right, okay. Police began to speculate that maybe he just left voluntarily. Nothing points to it being foul play at all yet he's obviously just put a large sum of cash into the account maybe he was feeling guilty for leaving his wife and child that he just had that spare change to give to them all of this is just like we don't know what to tell you guys he doesn't seem to be missing involuntarily right you know his friends family and co-workers all believe that this couldn't possibly be true he'd been an upstanding citizen he was 
doing all of this charity work throughout the community, which I know makes you think, oh, great, so he's a murderer. But no, he really was, by all means, seemed to be a really awesome dude. So well, he left sandwiches. He did he the left, laundry. Yeah, I mean, he sounds he like he was a loving family man. And he left the game recorded at home so he could watch it at some point. He wouldn't do that just to throw off his wife. Yeah, if you didn't care, you'd just not watch the game. So it just... It didn't sit right with them. So his wife ended up suspecting that his disappearance could have had something to do with, I guess at this time, he was in a really high-stakes malpractice suit against his previous employer, a different attorney's office. And they had, at some point, sent him some death threats in the mail, and he was making a big deal about it to her. Like, I'm getting really concerned that they're going to do something. Who was giving him death threats? The attorney's office that he had previously quit. An attorney's office is sending him death threats in the mail? I don't think, I think it was like anonymous. And he was supposed to testify against them because he knew some information that would be damning to them. So it does kind of warrant a little bit of suspicion if... You would think an attorney's office would be smart enough to not send some traceable document through the mail. Well, apparently they did a good job because that's literally all the information we have about that. That's just what the wife believes to have happened. That's just bizarre. I know. This whole thing is just, I don't know what to believe. Yeah, it's, it is all bizarre. Anyway, go ahead. So finally, 11 months after his disappearance, the Amarillo Special Crimes Unit closed his case and marked it as missing voluntarily. That all happened 11 months after, so it was sometime at the end of 1993, beginning so he's of been gone almost a year. Yeah. Oh. Yep. And they just basically wrote him off as, you're not going to see your husband again. Don't know what to tell you. So. Wow. Flash forward to 2004 in Washington State. A detective, which I had two or three different sources, and all of them were differing how to spell his name. It was either Patrick Ditter or Patrick Dutter. So okay. I'll just call him Detective Patrick, because that's all I know is right. <laughs> <laughs> detective Patrick, a Washington State Patrol detective, came across a cold case of a John Doe from the same year, 1993, but in Washington State. Okay. And he decided to look into it and just use facial recognition software and stuff like that, see if he could do anything at this point. He's a patrolman or a detective? He's a detective for the highway patrol. Okay. So anything that happens on the highway, he's the guy who I was thinking, it. if he's a patrolman, that seems out of his lane. Yeah, for real. He's just <laughs> bored one day. He's I'm like, going to work on cold cases yeah, now. drinking a six-pack, got nothing to do. <laughs> The case of the John Doe that he came across was from February 1st, 1993, which, if you recall, is the same exact day that David Glenn was reported missing. Yeah, because his wife came home the previous day and he was not there. Mm Mm-hmm. So at this point, he's been gone probably about 24 hours, at least, by the time this John Doe was found in Washington State. Okay. So here's Amarillo. Amarillo. And here's Washington State. Yes. They said it was... And this is 24 hours apart. And they said the drive itself is about a 28-hour drive. I would say that that's a conservative estimate because that's a lot That's of... if you go straight there and it's yeah, and a lot of middle-of-the-night traffic. You know, and there's no major interstates that go between Amarillo, Texas mm-hmm. and the middle of Washington. Yeah, but keep in mind he was doing a lot of shady stuff on the credit card with plane tickets. So we don't know if he could have taken a plane at some point just under a different name. Okay. 
We just don't know. If he had $5,000 to deposit into the account, then I guess maybe he had more money that was in cash that he could right. use to escape. Maybe somebody paid him off not to testify. You know what I mean? Like, it could have been anything at this point. Okay. So we don't know how he got there, but okay. it is still plausible that he drove or took a plane. And I'm sorry to our listeners, and I'm looking at a map, and I'm talking about the map, and you can't see the map. So if you have a map, you know, play Pull up along. Google Maps, and you'll, you'll see. <laughs> It's very far. It's very far. It's all the way across the country. So. If you aren't familiar with the United States, it's a really big country. <laughs> yeah. Just in Texas, it's 400 miles to get from one city to the next. So yeah. to go across like seven different states. Do you know what the distance is in miles from Amarillo to whatever you said? It was uh, Moxie, M-O-X-E-E. It is 1,569 miles. And actually, Google Maps says that if we leave right now, it's 23 hours and 17 minutes from there to there. Okay. All right. What is it walking? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, it does say 510 hours. Holy crap. So, if you've got a week to spare, (laughs) a couple weeks. (laughs) So, Detective Patrick came across this. It took place February 1st, 1993 in Moxie, Washington. There were reports of a man seen walking down, it was a two-lane highway, Route 24 was, and a man was walking right down the center line between the two lanes. But it was pitch black, it was like 10 o'clock at night, and people were like, what the hell are you doing, man? So they started calling police and saying, somebody needs to come get this delusional guy out of the road. Yeah. Was he acting weird or just walking? He was literally just following, looking down, following, and keep in mind that David Glenn Lewis, who's missing person we started talking about, he wears glasses. Like, he's blind as a bat like we are. Mm-hmm. So he needs his glasses, especially in the pitch black. And yeah. this guy was not wearing glasses. Okay. So it makes sense that he's just lost maybe and following the line because that's all he can see right now. Yeah. So that's all that was reported. But then another driver passed by him, saw the hazard in the road, and then turned around later on to come back and try to pick this guy up and see if he needed help. And at this point, he found that this guy had been hit and oh. the driver who had hit him had just stepped on the gas and gotten oh, away with geez. it. So this was a hit and run of a John Doe. This man had no ID on him. There was nothing defining about him. He was wearing military style clothing, which I guess probably means like camo fatigues. or fatigues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his fingerprints when they ran it through the databases did not come back to anybody. So there was no sign to who this guy was. And of course they had no missing person in the Washington state area mm-hmm. for this guy. So it's interesting. They didn't require a judge to submit fingerprints. For an attorney? I mean, I have a I have an architecture license in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just now reactivating it because it's been inactive for a couple of years. But to get an architecture license in Texas, you have to submit your fingerprints. Well, I just don't know if maybe in 1993 they were only checking locally. Maybe. That's my biggest probably. Maybe so. Because they did end up finding this guy later. So in 2004, Detective Patrick ends up searching more recent databases of missing persons from around that time zone and then found David Lewis who had been missing literally that exact time frame Mm -hmm. and all of the facial characteristics matched of the John Doe they had pictures of him from the autopsy and stuff and he saw a picture of David and said that's the guy and it's definitely our Doe so then he noticed oh but David has glasses and so he goes through all the autopsy and every all the paperwork from that and finds that actually this John Doe was found with the pair of glasses in his back pocket from that night and wow. so he must have been out of his mind or something I don't really know yeah. but so it, he ended up submitting some of the DNA samples from the John Doe along with I tested David Lewis's DNA to his mother's and it all came back and it was a complete match so it was wow. definitely him 
we don't know how he got there, but... And did they test the John Doe at the time for any kind of drugs they, yeah. or any kind of chemicals that Tox might have... completely and nothing in the So there was report. no viable reason for him to be completely disoriented walking yeah, no down a road in the middle of the night. Unless it was like a psychological disorder. No. There was nothing that would show that he was would, drugged in any way. But you would think that his wife would say, hey, he's had psychological issues in the past. Maybe we should be looking out for him. Unless it was like a sudden snap where all this pressure from the upcoming case against his previous office was getting to him, maybe. Or he was or... trying to get away so that his family wouldn't be targeted. Exactly. A lot of people said that, too. So, I don't know. Okay. Wow. So his wife, actually, after finding this out, she thought maybe he was kidnapped because he was getting threatened after all, and they've been very discreet about it, but but it didn't really make sense as witnesses on the highway, like I said before. He was just walking casually. He wasn't slurring or whatever all over the road. That wasn't the right word. But you know. Well, if somebody comes and grabs you out of your house mm-hmm. in your car and lets you lock the door on the way out, mm-hmm. and then they somehow get you quickly to four or five states away, five states away, Mm -hmm. and then they put you out on the road in the middle of the night and your glasses are in your pocket and you don't know maybe that they're in your pocket Mm -hmm. and you can't see. And the only thing you can see, like you said, is the white line down the middle of the road. True. What else is he going to do except just follow that line and hope he gets to somewhere that he can find help? But the reason that didn't make sense was because the person who had turned around to go back and see if he needed help, he had rolled down his window and tried screaming at him and saying, hey, get out of the road, get out of the road, like, hey, do you need me to stop? And then he wasn't responding. So that's why it's like okay. he offered him help and he just kept going, like a zombie almost. I wonder if he had hit his head or something. Or somebody hit him. Yeah, I don't know. but Wow, okay, this is very weird. Yeah, so, I mean, if he had gotten his head hit with something prior to this, who would know? He just got hit by a freaking whatever car hit him. Exactly. So, yeah. A lot of people also suspect it was possibly a suicide, but how did he get there if that was the case? There was no record of plane tickets other than the ones that I mentioned earlier, and his car was at the office. He didn't take the car. That doesn't make sense to me personally. Why would you go to Washington where you have no friends, no family? I mean, it almost sounds, if you had to make, if you had to sit down and try to make up a narrative for it, mm-hmm. it sounds like he was watching the Super Bowl, somebody called him and said, you need to come to the office, he went to the office, mm-hmm. and somebody snatched him from there and took him off to Washington. And then they threw him out of the car, maybe threw him out moving, you know, maybe he hit true, his head. True, true. That could very well be. I mean... Yeah. And why is he in fatigues? Yeah, just every time you think you have a story that maybe makes sense in some weird version of the world, it's like one thing just comes back and goes, but why is that? Like This is one of those cases that will never be solved unless somebody comes forward and says, mm-hmm. so I heard somebody talking about this and here's who, right. who participated in this. And it's weird because there's so much information here, but something's missing and I couldn't even begin to tell you what it is. Yeah. Like, wow. So, unfortunately, there may never be a solid answer to what actually happened to David. I, just... I've heard this story before, but mm-hmm. you told me some things I didn't know. Like, I didn't, I don't think I knew that his car was at the office. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that he was walking with his glasses in his back pocket instead of mm-hmm. on his face. Yeah. And, it's just... I mean, just things that you can't really find any reasonable explanation for. It just, yeah, it's just little details like that. That make you scratch your head and go, okay, well, before you said that, that might have 
makes yeah. sense, but it's just... But unless you're completely unaware of where who you are mm-hmm. and what's going on, anybody that needs glasses knows if you have your glasses, you're going to put them on because otherwise you can't see a damn thing. And I almost wonder, they didn't really say, because I never saw an autopsy report, obviously, but... The glasses, maybe they were broken and they just assumed it was the car that had hit him that broke him, but maybe they were broken before that. You know, if he got hit in the face with something. Yeah. Maybe they were broken and he's like, well, no point in putting those on right now. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't if, know. I mean, that would explain why they're in his pocket. He doesn't want to lose them, yeah. but he can't wear them either because they're going to fall. It's like when yours were broken and the earpiece was broken off. And I wore them like that for a year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good game. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Just like that. Thankfully, you did not go walking down the middle of a highway. Not that I recall, you know. Wow, that is so bizarre. So, what is the current status of that case? The wife, obviously, is... I think it's just officially solved. I think they said it's solved. We don't know why he was here, what he was doing here, who put him here, possibly, but... We know where he ended up, so... Did she take him home and bury him? Yeah, he's buried in Texas. I think it's in Burger, where he was born. I would just hate for him to be up in Washington. Wow, that's that's got me scratching my head, because that's a really bizarre story. And I have a couple articles that kind of didn't even include everything, because I wasn't entirely sure of the truthfulness of everything involved, but... Well, when there's so many different factors that are all over the place like that, it's hard to make sense of it. None of it was in chronological order, so I just kind of kept going back to, okay, Sunday, not, that's at the end, okay. (laughs) That's what I do too. I start with the most comprehensive article or uh, study that I can find, Mm -hmm. and then as I read more articles, I go back and I replace things, or I add them in where they seem like they would fit. Yes. And that's how I end up with the narrative that's at least in the right order. Because it's really hard to find it's hard something to keep that tells the... everything. Yeah, especially when you're hearing it and not reading it yourself. You know what I mean? Unless just... you're a really fast typist. Or have some weird, what is it called? The You can visualize everything in your brain. I can't do that, so I don't know. <laughs> anyway, what you got for me this week? I have a survival story for you today. Okay. Okay. This is based in Australia. Australia, as you well know, is a really popular destination for people who are looking for an adventurous vacation. Mm-hmm. There's scuba diving, backpacking in rainforests, there's geographic formations, there's the outback, wildlife tours, and of course, fantastic seashores and beaches. Mm-hmm. Plus, Australians have a really nice reputation for being more reserved than, say, Americans, but for being really approachable and friendly. If you don't go up and glom all over them. Yeah, that's just called less in your face than Americans, and yes. I appreciate that. <laughs> People commonly will just travel there with no set itinerary, and they'll just make arrangements as they go. This is because there are so many totally different experiences to be had in Australia, and depending on where you head out to, you're likely to run into additional things that you want to see or do along the way. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to make a plan that's super tight itinerary and then mess it up the first day because you're like, oh God, I want to go see that. Let's go do this. True. Beatrice was a 24-year-old traveler from Brazil and she met Lena Rabente, a 24-year-old traveler from Germany in Adelaide in 2016. So they're two single women just traveling through Mm -hmm. Australia. They met each other. They were both looking for adventure, and when they met, they hit it off right away. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder how they found each other. Just happened to both be backpacking or whatever? And Probably so. Traveling? Yep. Yeah. So cool. the two decided that they wanted to travel from Adelaide, which is in the state of South Australia, to Melbourne, which is in the state of Victoria. 
I'm looking up at the map. I'm looking at the map as well. Okay. This interstate trip could be about an 8 to 10 hour drive. We were talking about how big the U.S. is. It's similar to the same size. It's, the spaces are so expansive. Yeah. That it can take a huge amount of time to get from one place to another. Mm-hmm. So this trip could be about an 8 to 10 hour drive if you were to go directly from point A to point B. But they were really excited to take part of the trip along what's called the Great Ocean Road. The Great Ocean Road was built in 1932 as a memorial to World War I servicemen and women in Victoria. And it's considered worldwide just to be a spectacular scenic coastal drive. Okay. You can either drive directly along the main route, or you can take side branches and smaller roads that lead to secluded beaches, smaller towns and villages, and other kinds of various day trips. I wonder how the signage is there, because that just sounds like a recipe for me getting lost. It does sound that way, and I don't know how the signage is there. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to believe that there's a lot of travelers along that route, because it's so worldwide known as just a beautiful drive. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Beatrice and Lena had both come here as tourists, they had no car, so they needed to find a ride to take them on this leg of their journey. They could have gone by bus, but really they wanted someone who would let them enjoy the adventure and see the sights along the way. Mm -hmm. The two women had found a ride with someone they felt comfortable with, but the day before they were set to leave, the intended driver had car trouble and they had to back up. So the girls posted this request on a rideshare board called Gumtree and were called by a man who offered to drive them. This man was Roman Heinze, a 60-year-old who had been born in what was then West Germany and had lived in Australia since his family of five had emigrated together in 1959. Okay. I'm imagining that because Lena was German that maybe she felt a little bit more comfortable with this guy because he was originally from West Germany, which is now just Germany. speak the language and stuff, but... Yeah, well, he had moved here in 1959, so I don't know what year whether did he... you say this is. This was in 2016. Okay, so, so he'd been here a really long time. So Rowan picked them up and set off away from Adelaide in his four-wheel drive vehicle. A few hours outside of Adelaide, the three stopped to set up camp along the isolated sand dunes in Salt Creek in Coorong, South Australia. Lena was tired and went to lie down and catch a nap in the back seat of Roman's vehicle. After Lena was asleep, Roman was talking with Beatrice and he said that if you go into the dunes, you can see kangaroos and asked her if she wanted to go see them. Beatrice said, all right. So, I mean, she was here for all the adventures, right? Mm -hmm. So they walked away together from the car to go further into the dunes. Beatrice was walking ahead of Heinze in her bikini, and after they had lost sight of the vehicle, Heinze suddenly shoved Beatrice down in the sand. At first, Beatrice thought he was just pulling a prank, but realized that wasn't the case as he pulled a knife on her, tied her hands, and cut her bikini off with the knife. Mm -hmm. He tied her feet so that she could shuffle along, but she couldn't walk fast and she couldn't run. She tried to reason with him. She told him no knife was necessary. All he had to do was ask. First, she thought he was going to go along with it, and they started walking back towards the vehicle, but suddenly he started dragging her back further into the dunes again, and she had no way to defend herself as he raped her. She knew that there was little chance of her getting away alive if he got her totally isolated. And so she took the one opportunity she had and she let out a huge scream for Lena. After this, of course, Heinze punched her in the face and crammed her bikini bottom into her mouth to gag her. Although Beatrice was fairly far from the vehicle, Lena woke up from hearing the scream. She got out and began searching for her friend whom she found naked and still bound. Heinze was still there, standing over Beatrice. 
Beatrice tried to warn Lena away, like run off. Just mm-hmm. I just wanted you to know what was going on, but don't come over here. So it's hard to say all that with a bikini bottom yeah. crammed into your mouth. Oh. Lena shouted at Heinze to let Beatrice go. And then she ran as fast as she could back to the vehicle, trying to get a cell phone to call for help. Heinze followed her, and as Lena reached into the car to get her bag, he smashed her in the head with a hammer. Oh. The blow was so hard that Lena feared it was enough to kill her and that Heinze was just going to bury her in the sand. Blood poured from the wound, but he hit her again three more times when she suddenly sprinted away despite her grave wounds. So her head is just pounding. She's got blood running all over her face. She can barely see because of all the blood. Mm-hmm. And she just takes off running. In the middle of nowhere, too. In the middle of nowhere. Ugh. As Lena returned to where she had seen Beatrice, she untied her, and the pair decided that they were going to split up so that at least one of them would escape and be able to tell the story of what had happened to them. Mm -hmm. So at this point, they're afraid that one of them is going to die, and the other one at least will be able to tell people. At least get this guy caught, you know? Yeah, at least keep him from doing this again. Heinze had started the car, and he was going after Lena. She ran for her life, making sharp turns and darting behind things he couldn't run over, and he just kept coming after her. She had run for half a mile, and she was running out of steam. She was losing blood. The head wound was very bad. She was really tired. As she wasn't able to evade him anymore, Heinze began toying with her. He would come up on her, and he would hit her with his bumper, making her fall down, and she would get up and run again. And he hit her four times this way. Lena realized that she was going to die unless she could find some other means to get out of harm's way. She stopped running away from the vehicle and instead ran directly at it. She moved her momentum to launch herself onto the hood of the car, and from there, she climbed up onto the roof and held onto the cargo rack. As Heinzer raged and tried to hit her with the hammer, he's running around the outside of the car trying to hit her, she kicked at his face. She said she felt like James Bond, and all the while, her head just kept gushing blood. Since Heinzer couldn't get her off the roof, he decided to drive erratically, thinking that eventually she would get tired and fall off. While Lena was holding on for dear life, Back at the original place, Beatrice saw a car coming near her, just completely unexpectedly, and ran, she's still completely naked, running towards the car. The car is full of men, and Beatrice frantically told them there was a man out there who was trying to kill her, was trying to kill her friend, and that she thought that he would kill them all. Mm -hmm. So the men called a nearby roadhouse. I don't know how they happened to be near a roadhouse, but I guess that was luck. What's a roadhouse? A roadhouse is like a a rest stop. It's like a diner, but it's in the middle of nowhere. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So they called this roadhouse, which then called the police. The men wanted to take Beatrice away from the beach and get her some medical care. She had just been raped. Mm -hmm. But she begged them to help her find Lena, knowing that Heinze was going to try to kill her. And may have already. She didn't know. Yeah. But Lena had convinced Heinze to throw away his weapons, and if he did, she would get down from the roof. I have no idea how she managed to convince him of that. But he knew eventually someone would come by, I guess. And if she was still up on the roof, then... And probably figured that he'd have an easier time getting her down, even without the weapons, then... Yeah, he probably thought he could still overpower her either (sighs) way. She was making this agreement with him because she was afraid that she was going to pass out up there. Mm -hmm. And if she passed out, she was going to fall off and he was going to kill her anyway. So this seemed to be the only option for her. So she got down, he threw his weapons away, she got into the car, and as they drove down the beach, they passed the car that was carrying Beatrice and the men. So Lena saw them. She recognized that Beatrice was in the car. She leaped out of the passenger door. So she's like a freaking superhero. (laughs) I mean, after everything she's been through, she leaps out of this moving vehicle. 
Having lost Lena and knowing that he was about to be pursued, Heinze took off into the dunes again by himself in this vehicle. Lena was barely conscious, and the men couldn't even be sure who she was because she was so covered with blood. Of course. I mean, Beatrice obviously knew it was her because, you I know, mean, who else is going to be covered with blood? I know, just bloody in the middle of a road out in the middle of nowhere. Ugh. Well, Lena was bloody when she even untied Beatrice. True, yeah. Oh, God. So... Back at the roadhouse, the police had arrived and the officers, along with the roadhouse owner, all began searching for Heinze. So they went out into the dunes and after a period of about three hours, they found him stuck, bogged down in the sand, and he was arrested without him even putting up a fight. Why did that make me smile just now? <laughs> because there's something about him being stuck and helpless mm-hmm. and it's gotcha. Got yep. you, you son of a bitch. It's like the earth swallowed his buggy so that he wouldn't, get, <laughs> wouldn't be able to get away. I just love it. Yes. There's a woman named Sylvia Clark who is an ex-girlfriend of Roman Heinze. Mm-hmm. And she said that had no one come along to help them get away from him, she has no doubt that he would have killed Lena and then he would have come back and killed Beatrice and no one would have ever found them. During his trial, it came out that Heinze had made the comment, I just wanted to try her. Ugh, that's disgusting. What a douche. Yeah, I mean, among other things. Also, information came out that in 2014, Heinze had given another woman an interstate ride, just like Lena and Beatrice, and that he had also assaulted and raped that backpacker. He was also placed on bond in relation to another assault in December of 2014. So he's a serial rapist. Yeah. Justice Trish Kelly called him depraved and defying any rational or reasonable explanation for his actions. His crimes had a common theme, sudden, violent, and predatory sexual behavior. He was found guilty of six charges, including indecent assault, aggravated kidnapping, and endangering life. But in a big WTF moment, he was found not guilty of attempted murder. But in the end, he was sentenced to 22 years and four months with a non-parole period of 17 years, which will make him at least 78 years old at the earliest opportunity for him to be paroled. Apparently, in another twist, there were three off-duty police officers fishing on the beach during the time of the attacks, and none of them lifted a finger to help in any way at all. Apparently they did, and they reset their equipment or something and just went right back to fishing. So the judge later threw some serious shade at them during the trial for being so apathetic and refusing to assist people who very nearly lost their lives. And I have to believe that the two officers who were there when Heinze was arrested, I would have to believe they wanted to beat the crap out of these three guys. Because what what kind of asshole? If you're a regular average citizen and you sit there and let this happen, yeah. you're a bad person. If you're a police officer, you should lose your job for sitting there. Even if you're off duty, you have taken an oath to protect the community. Mm-hmm. So it's infuriating that it these is. three guys sat there. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're off your shift? Guess what? Every other person that has ever fucking stepped up to help somebody in a situation like this was probably also not on duty that day. That's right. The guy who owns the roadhouse, the Salt Creek Roadhouse Diner, his name is Adam Stewart. And he is the guy who was present with the other two police officers to search for, capture, and arrest Heinze. Mm -hmm. And his statement was, bottom line is these coppers, they made a big mistake. They didn't take it seriously. They didn't want to get involved. They did fuck all, he told the Australian, which I think is a newspaper. They just didn't man up on the day. And then he added... It ended up being probably one of the biggest cases in Australia, and the bloke gets basically arrested and done by the local hamburger maker. (laughs) 
Lena's terrible wounds, including the first hammer blow that exposed her skull, have healed. And she and Beatrice have given several interviews and are happy to have survived and put the monster away to save the next trusting traveler from being caught in the same trap. Adam Stewart, the hamburger guy's advice? Be safe, be sure, and don't get lifts with a creepy guy. I bet he wasn't creepy at first, though. That's the scary part. No, the the really shitty people have a way of They have charisma, you... and that's the problem. They still have charisma, and it's scary. Yeah, and they tell you what they think you want to hear. He played mm-hmm. up on the whole German connection, you know. Mm-hmm. and So they turned out to be all right. I'm sure that Beatrice has had years of trying to get past the emotional trauma of what she went through. Lena, I'm sure, has had a lot of issues trying to heal. I mean, you know she had to have brain injuries and concussions. And I didn't find any big listing of what kinds of physical problems she may have had, but getting smashed in the head four times with a hammer is pretty serious business. She's lucky if she got away without any neurological issues in the future, whether that be like numbness anywhere or I don't know. I mean, in the, they had video interviews of the two of them and they both look like they're okay. Mm -hmm. They interacted nicely together. They're lifelong friends now. Oh, I would bet. Yeah. You know, they just had met and they... Nobody else knows what that's like, you know? It it had to be such a nightmare of an experience. We do stories all the time of people who trusted the wrong person and, Mm -hmm. and you don't want to go through life not trusting anybody but you have to be safe you can't get in a car and go across country with some guy who just found your message on a message board and the worst part is what they always tell you is the buddy system go make a friend you know that other girl isn't gonna hurt you so buddy up with her you both don't have anybody else and they thought they were doing that. They but thought if they, they hadn't buddied up, somebody would be dead. Somebody would have... So absolutely, I guess buddy system works, you it, know? But it worked in this case to the extent that they both survived, but they But it both, didn't work in a way that you both, think they just won't try because you yeah. have a friend with you. And that's well, even more scary to me. He thought he found his end when Lena took a little nap. Yeah. And Beatrice was there to see the sights. Of course she wanted to see the kangaroos. I would want to see the kangaroos. And it's the guy but who I would be experience. like, let's like, let's wake up Lena. She wants to see the kangaroos. Yeah, she might want to see him too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. So that's my story for this Ugh. week. And it was a little bit of a rough one, but they did have a happy ending. Well, I hope that guy rots and I hope they retry him for that murder thing because that's bullshit. Absolute bullshit. How in the hell do you do what he did and be found not guilty of attempted murder. Yeah, it's not like she could have fallen and hit her head on rocks like five times. They were giving some of the arguments his defense attorney was using in court. And the defense attorney says, he never hit her with a hammer. She climbed up on top of the car because she wanted to see farther into the distance. And then she fell and hit her head. Five times. Five times. And they're little round perfect circles, right, from a hammer. Convenient. Oh, I guess oh, I forgot. Right before she fell, I threw my collection of hammers out onto the ground. And she, and she fell and hit every fucking one. Can you, would you believe it? <laughs> all four of them. <laughs> so that's all I got, girl. Good Lord. Uh, depressing, but happy at the same time. I yes. Guess. It, does not, it does not change my desire to go to Australia, except for the bugs. I was going to say, the spiders are already not going. The prehistoric bugs in Australia are just mortifying to me. But I know there are a lot of people who live there, and they have not been eaten by spiders. Mm -hmm. So it's probably not that bad, but it seems scary to me because our spiders are small. Well, you know what? I thought about it before. I think that spiders, to me, would be more terrifying if 
as like the spiders we get here than in Australia. Because I know that a lot of those spiders in Australia, they're freaking huge, but they're not gonna, like the wolf spider, it's not gonna hurt you. It's just alarming, you know? Are you sure they're not gonna hurt you? Wolf spiders, I don't think are poisonous. I don't know. We have quite a few poisonous spiders here. In Georgia, yeah. Now I'm talking about the Australian spiders. Okay. But they're larger, and I feel like what's scary to me about spiders is when you see them, you go to grab something to catch them, and then you come back and they're gone. And now you have to sleep in that room thinking, is it in my sheets? Is it going to crawl into my drink on the table? Am I going to change in the morning? It's in the dress I'm wearing now. But you know, those giant spiders, it's not disappearing. No, but it might be in your bed and you're like, well, I guess I'm not sleeping in there tonight. That's my pet spider now, excuse you. (laughs) You What I hate more than spiders are the really creepy ones and they're like diamond shaped and they have 10 million legs. I don't think they're millipedes because millipedes are little round guys with a million legs. They're like little tubes. like centipedes only bigger right but i think that these are diamond shaped legs they have legs that are short on the front and back and then they're long oh where it goes like this and then this yeah it's just i hate those Those sorry so creepy this and this is not helpful it's it's not helpful (laughs) over audio so that's all i want to talk about bugs i mean i i like spiders to the extent that they eat other bugs so i don't kill spiders yeah i take them outside but I just don't have to love them just because they eat other bugs. Lizards eat bugs too, and I'm I love the lizards. Right. All we're asking, stay in your corner, we'll stay in ours. You don't bother me, I won't bother you. Don't mm-hmm. put yourself out here where I have to see you. Just hide someplace under the furniture. Yep. It's all good. And you know what? I'll even do my part. I'll stop the cat from nomming you to death. <laughs> because she'll just throw up all over the house. I am a friend of the lizards. Oh, absolutely. I love the lizards. I don't have one now, do you? <laughs> What if you just pulled, reached in your pocket? Oh, yeah, I've got... <laughs> well, we saved one out of the pool yesterday. Yeah, he doesn't want anything to do with us anymore. He's like, God, I hate this place. <laughs> he would have been drowned if it hadn't been for my quick clam hands. I was no use. I was in the pool with no glasses, so I was... You would have been the guy walking down the middle of the road. <laughs> like, I can't see where I'm going. Why is everybody honking? It's the end of our bonus episode for this week, 19.5. Oh, so good point. Not the end of this week, so first of this week. That's right. This is the first half of this week, and we still have another one for this Friday, yep, which so. will be episode 20. Thank you for joining us today. And we will see you on Friday. Bye. Bye. gets confusing yeah all right i think we should just start all over again because this is all garbage yeah i know (laughs) we have to wait for the whiskey to just pump through our veins for a moment (laughs) i like how you did the rhinoplasty thing where you closed your nostrils all right right. you ready yes let's go oh okay that was my Evil What was that? Evil. <laughs> I guess that was kind of my Dr. Evil accent. I feel a little bit scared being locked in this room with you right now. You're... Well, that wasn't my Australian accent. Being terrifying. <laughs> Give me your glasses. I only have one lens. <laughs> Let me try that again. Mm-hmm. Without a burp. Can't find the off button. Oh, we're still recording. As I'm like sucking down my whiskey coke. <laughs>